Oh, man, he does. He wants us to speak to him. You know, in February of 1998, um, I became the student and worship pastor at Mountain Baptist Church in Gatesville, Texas. And uh, kind of a neat moment uh, this last week as I was getting prepared for today and thinking about this being 13 years for us as a church. And I was thinking, you know, this Sunday marks a special time that I've gotten to pastor Legacy Church uh, longer than I've been anywhere else uh, in the history, you know, of, of ministry. In fact, been here for more than half of, uh, of ministry that, I, that I've, I've gotten to be a part of here on this earth. Next month in February, I get to celebrate 25 years of getting to be a pastor, and it's kind of a, a, a pretty amazingly special moment, um, you know, and lucky 13, whatever you want to say about our teenage selves as a church, whatever, you guys have to understand just how special, just how special it is to call you family. You know, I was just getting to talk to Stanley in the foyer a while ago, and one of the things he was telling me was his employer asked him, you know, what day of the week you would want to have off, if you could have any day of the week off. And uh, his answer was Sunday, because that's the day I spend with my family. The implication he was giving me in that moment was, yeah, his immediate family, of course, but he was saying the church family. And you guys across this room, you guys have highlighted and you have prioritized life between the Sundays even more than you've prioritized life on the Sundays. But thank you for setting your Sundays aside to call on the name of the Lord together. Um, and we get to do this together in all of our flaws and failures uh, and victories. And we've wept with one another and we've rejoiced with one another and we've backed one another and we've challenged one another for a long time now. And so thank you. Uh, thank you for being family and uh, thank you for being friends and thank you for 13 years uh, of really, really remarkably difficult and beautiful and hard and awesome and lovely ministry. And so can you guys, can we just say thank you to one another that we've been in this thing and we've gotten to live this life together and just kind of praise the Lord together. That's why we clap our hands on Sundays. We praise the Lord together. So let's do that. Yeah. You know, over the course of, of these years that, that I've, I've gotten the, the privilege of getting to do what I've, I've done, um, I've gotten to perform dozens of weddings. Now, weddings are one of my favorite things to get to do. I've got a lot of favorite things in ministry, but weddings are one of those that kind of bubble to the top. And, the, um, you know, it's because for the most part, it's a relatively happy day uh, for many folks. But, but the reality is, is that this is the greatest picture that we have on this earth of God the Father's love for his bride, the church. And we have this mental picture of a groom uh, uh, and a bride and, and other people that are there supportive of what's happening. And, and even down to like this, just the aisle that you walk down approaching the Lord and just the relationship that we share with God the Father, it's so incredibly special. One of the things that I love about that day is I've gotten to have, most of the time, I've gotten to have lots of really amazing conversations with the couple that I'm getting to perform their wedding ceremony in what's called premarital counseling. 
I'm a firm believer in premarital counseling. Uh, and, uh, and, and in fact, in order for, for me to do a wedding now, it's a requirement either for, for myself to, to take the couple through it or to have another pastor or a Christian counselor uh, that um, is qualified to be able to do it. And uh, the book that I use is called Getting Ready for Marriage. And, uh, and in that book, after we kind of go through the precursor uh, things, just kind of understanding what love is and, and understanding how, how to know one another and things like that, we get to this specific question. And the specific question I get to ask these couples, each and every one, is this. What do you think is the number one thing that it takes for a successful marriage? The number one thing, what is it? And it's carte blanche, whatever they want to respond. I've heard all kinds of answers to this question, uh, but the top two answers, hands down, not even close, is trust and communication. Trust and communication. And of course, we know these two things go hand in hand. If you don't have trust, you got nothing. If you're not talking to each other, you got no relationship. You gotta have these two things in order for there to be a successful marriage. Now, you put that into any other relationship here on this earth, those are also two key elements to any other relationship here on this earth. Do you think that this is a coincidence? Do you think that this is surprising to hear those are the two things? Absolutely not. The reason that that is the case is because when we look at a wedding and we see this picture of God the Father and his bride, the church and their relationship, the give and take that is there, God the Father set in motion long ago that it is of the utmost of importance for his bride, the church, to communicate with him, to receive communication from God. Because what that does is it establishes a relationship that is built on trust. And so the reason that every relationship on this earth, for to be successful, you gotta have these two elements is because God designed it that way from the very beginning. When God breathed life into you, when God knit you together in your mother's womb, these were things and qualities that God knit in you that you knew you needed, you've been searching for, you want, and they are essential to a successful marriage, they're essential to a successful friendship, they're essential to a successful relationship with our heavenly father and our heavenly father to his bride, the church. Trust and communication. You know, over the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about God's plan. And it's, it's, it's of no surprise that we see the things that work on this earth and the things that don't work on this earth. It's, it's by design. And so we're gonna look at four practices of Jesus. That as Jesus set the example for us here on this earth, it's no wonder that these are important pieces of the puzzle in order for our lives to be full, in order for our lives to be the way that God designed for them to be and our relationship with our Heavenly Father to be as strong and good as it can be. And thus, our relationships here on this earth tend to do better. And we're gonna have these four different practices, these four different things that Jesus did um, and we're going to see that we can model our lives after Jesus. We can depend on who Jesus is in order to become who God wants us to be. And that is how we live life to the fullest here on this earth. And so this week, it's communication. It's straight up prayer. You know, and, you know, we, we, we laugh about, you know, what Michael said about prayer a while ago. And it's so true because people get really weird about prayer, don't they? It gets really strange and we have these different viewpoints and is there a certain way you gotta do this and a certain way you can't do this and if you, is there anything that you can say, anything you can't say? What is, what is prayer all about? 
let's kind of work through this. And so let's start, let's back up. And just from a very foundational truth and understanding, our key truth for tonight is this. Prayer is critical to our well-being. If you want things to go well with you, if you want life to go well, prayer is critical. If you are not spending time talking to your heavenly Father, communicating with God, your well-being will be compromised. Prayer is critical to our well-being. That's why we've got to develop a consistent code of prayer. And here we are. It's the beginning of the year. It's, the begin- it's a new year, new beginnings. There's a fresh start. There's all of this. There's not a greater time for us to take a moment and just agree that we're going to spend time communicating with our Heavenly Father to develop our relationship with Him, to develop a code that we live by that is consistent, that is regular, and that is often that we are praying with our Heavenly Father. In a lot of ways, prayer is the best version we can have of a mirror into who we are. We know that finances, we've talked about it all the time. You wanna know where your heart is? Look how you spend your money. It's hands down. You can tell what matters to you more than anything else. Just look at your bank account. Look and see what happens through your monthly expenses. You'll see what's most important to you. No question about it. This is proof positive. We see this over and over and over again. Who you are, though, who you are, what makes you tick, what priorities are in your life, look at your prayer life. Look and see, is your prayer life predominantly about you? Is your prayer life predominantly about other people? Is is there a prayer life? Is that something that you only do at mealtime? Do you even pray at mealtime? Who do you pray in the name of? Do you pray in the name of Jesus or do you just pray? How do, we, how do you operate? Prayer, it, it tells a lot about you. And it's a great mirror into who you are. See, Jesus called his disciples, his followers, and we fall into this category, the followers of Jesus. He calls his followers to, to remove themselves from distractions, enter into quiet spaces, and speak with God. Now, it's true. We can do this driving down the road. We can do this You know, on a Sunday evening, we do this together in a public forum like this, but it's also really important that we still ourselves and we spend time in quietness, we spend time in solitude with our Heavenly Father, having conversations interpersonally that matter, that we're talking, we're listening in these quiet spaces. The reason is, is that it's in the quiet spaces that we're drawn into the dependence upon God for all that we need. This is the moment we bear our soul to the Lord. This is the moment where we don't have to worry about saying the right words, feeling the right feelings. We we declare our dependence on our Heavenly Father. This is Jesus showed us this time and time again as Jesus drew away in what some would say were critical moments in his ministry in which the people needed him. And what did Jesus do? He stole away by himself and spent time with his heavenly father. Some would say that's reckless. Some would say it's irresponsible. But Jesus gives us this, that sometimes even when life is the hottest, life is the hardest, life is the most difficult, that's the moment where you need to get away and spend time with your heavenly father and allow God to give wisdom in those quiet spaces. N.T. Wright says this in one of his books. He says, what you are in private is what you really are. I think we all can agree to that. What people don't see, that really is what you are and who you are. Go into your inner room, talk to your father. 
You don't have to make a strong, or excuse me, you don't have to make a song and dance about it. And indeed, the fewer people that know you're doing it, the better. Nor do you have to go on mouthing pious phrases, holier-than-thou phrases, right? A bunch of God talk. You don't have to do that. You may find that there are forms of words which help as a framework, which we'll, start, we'll talk about tonight, as a starting point. But the point is to do business with God one-to-one. Now, it's important to understand there's no one way to talk to your Heavenly Father. It would be wrong for us to suggest that there was one way that you do this. One thing is sure, though, is motive. Our motive is important. Prayer without correct intent is always wrong. If we're praying to our Heavenly Father in a self-serving way, where we're just using God as a pawn to try to get what we want, that's a selfish intent. That's why, that's why we are taught to say things like, your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. We get taught to say these things because prayer without correct intent, it's always wrong. But the way that we go about praying, the way that the words we say and the thoughts we have and things like that, there's no rule book for this because it's a relationship. We're having a conversation and we're listening in the same conversation. N.T. Wright, he goes on to explain that there is a pattern that Jesus suggests. There is a pattern that Jesus gives us that gives us a scaffolding when it comes to prayer. It's kind of a scaffolding that you would see on the outside of a building project, right? It gives a place to stand. It gives us a firm foundation in order to build our lives upon, to build our relationship with our Heavenly Father upon. And so many of you are very familiar. You've prayed this prayer before football games. You've prayed this prayer at halftime. You've prayed this prayer you know, in church. You've prayed it as a community where we say it out loud together. You've prayed this prayer in many, many different forms. Tonight, we're gonna take a moment and go through this. Matthew chapter six, verses five through 15. This is known as the Lord's Prayer. We're gonna kind of kind of go book into the prayer to make sure that we understand context real quick. But Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five, Jesus says this, and when you pray, you get the in, in, uh, connotation there? When you pray, not if you pray, not hope that you pray. No, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Remember, intent is important. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory. I'm just kidding, that's not how it goes. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, we stop short of this one, right? If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, their trespasses, the shame, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's some big stuff in this prayer. 
this scaffolding that Jesus gives us as to how to look at 2023 and to do some prayer work with our Heavenly Father throughout this year. He gives us these great, great scaffolding. Here's the thing that we can just gravitate to right out of the gates. God desires, God expects, and God anticipates to get to talk with you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your thoughts. God wants to know what's in your heart. Yes, God already knows all of those things. God wants to hear it from you, to confess that to the Lord through saying it to the Lord, through writing it down in the form that is greatest for you. God expects it. God anticipates it. God desires it. And in this conversation, it's important that we're intentional with God. You know, we're not just rambling on and on, but we're intentional with the Lord in our prayer life. And so here it is. Let's kind of go through it real quick. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, when we approach God as our Father, what it means is we understand, we accept that God is in a distinct form. God is something that is different than us. God is elevated over and above us. God is the one who sets the tone. God sets the rules. God sets the truth. God is the one that is above all, in all, through all. He is to be hallowed, to be revered, to be honored, to be worshiped. And he desires a relationship with us. There's that beautiful, this beautiful tension where we have this almost untouchable, Un, unimaginable being that is God who very relationally sends Jesus to this earth so that we have relationship. He connects the dots, shows us the way to be able to have conversation with God. So we place God in this particular position in our lives. Now, interestingly enough, the Roman emperor, Augustus, you guys remember we read it over Christmas, Caesar Augustus. Augustus, who was the emperor at the time when Jesus was born. You want to know the names that he approved that he was to be called by the people? Father. Yep. God. Son of God. And Savior. These were the approved things for people to refer the Roman emperor as. That's pretty important that we see in this moment what Jesus is doing. There's a lot of biblical experts out there that would suggest that by calling on God as Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, Jesus is helping us clarify. Clarify that the ultimate authority is not the human emperor. The ultimate authority is God the Father. Not anybody here on this earth. I mean, aren't you glad that our hope doesn't rest in the governing authorities of our country? Aren't you so glad for that? Thank goodness, right? Oh my gosh, we would be in significant trouble if that was the case. Now, of course, we are to honor. We are to respect the governing authorities in our country. We are to honor, we are to respect the governing authorities in all of this world but our hope does not rest in them. Our hope rests in the king of kings, the president of presidents, the emperor of emperors, the lord of lords. 
That's where our hope rests. And it's important that when we're praying, we understand that's who we're praying to. This is the God in which our hope rests above all. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God can't be limited to humanity's wishy-washy, back and forth thought process about who God is. No, no, no. We don't get to define what the truth is here on this earth. We don't get to define what is truth for our lives. We don't get to be the one that sets those things in motion. No, God the Father is. God is the one who knows better than anybody ever knows on this earth. The one that establishes the plumb line for what life is meant to be like and how that gets dispensed into our lives. God is the one that gives us this. And that's why we say, Lord, your will, your kingdom, your will be done because you know better than me. And anytime I try to get my will, my way, in the way that I think it should be, there may be temporary satisfaction with that, but there will always be emptiness. But when we are in the will of God, when we are in the way of God, when we are in God's kingdom mindset, there is satisfaction. There is certainty, there is wholeness. No matter a person's desires here on earth, it is essential for people to first seek God's desires in order for a satisfied life to be possible. So we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily Bread. Now, that does not mean that you only get one meal a day, and it doesn't mean that, that only that meal a day is only can be bread. That's not what this means, right? I had a guy who actually suggested that to me at one point in the history of ministry, and I thought, wow, that is a very interesting, that's going to be a tough way to go, you know, for that to be the way life is meant to be. No, what this means is as we're praying, we understand that God is the provider. We understand that God sees our needs long before we know we have these needs. And God is the one that is the one that wants to provide for our needs as defined by God. And that's where we get phrases from a Mark Batterson that says things like this. Work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. And that's how we understand what our role is here on this earth. We work like, man, we are the provider on this earth. And we pray and we say, Lord, give us today our daily bread because you are truly the provider. I'm gonna work like it depends on me, Lord, but I know the truth. You really are the one that is the provider here on this earth. And so we continue by praying, forgive us our debts. And we're gonna go to meddling now, right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, this is a very critical part of Jesus' scaffolding very critical part of Jesus's prayer model that we have. Jesus teaches his followers to ask God the Father to exercise the type of forgiveness they exercise towards others. Did you hear that? Forgive us our debts, help us forgive others as we are, as we have forgiven our debtors. This is an important piece. Forgiveness is critical. It is a major part of the code to becoming more like Jesus. This is where we see Jesus saying things like, 
Forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them. See, forgiveness, Lord, would you exercise the same forgiveness to me that I am giving to others? Now, that changes things, doesn't it? Because we kind of like to pray, Lord, forgive me of everything. And if you got a little left over, you can give it to this person over here. As long as it goes in line with the way I think justice should be. But what God is saying, no, 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 no. Forgiveness, the same type that you are forgiving. And that's an important piece of the puzzle. Jesus assumes that we're gonna need to ask for forgiveness of God on a regular basis. Jesus also assumes that we're going to need to offer and be a people that give forgiveness on a regular basis. This is how we become like Jesus. This is how we become like our heavenly father. N.T. Wright says again, he says, the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. See, we have to understand that when we receive forgiveness from God, it's not to be the end user of that forgiveness. It's one thing to receive forgiveness. It's another thing to understand forgiveness. And we're to the point where we're able to give that forgiveness. And the more we understand, the more forgiveness we receive and the more we give, the closer and closer and closer we get in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this is all a part of communication, all a part of trust. It all goes hand in hand together. I mean, bottom line, Jesus taught us to pray like this because he prayed to his Heavenly Father. He longs for us to pray in order for us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so here it is. Let's kind of bring it all back together, okay? Bring it all back together. You boil it down to three phrases tonight. You ready? You will not be able to offer forgiveness until, unless you're forgiven. That's it. You don't, you don't, you're not able to give forgiveness to anybody unless you've been forgiven yourself. If you've never given your life to Jesus, receive forgiveness. You can do your best in your own humanity, but the bottom line is that you will have unforgiveness that is just rampant in your life. And unforgiveness, you've heard it said before, it's like drinking poison and hoping something bad happens to somebody else. So until you are ready to receive the forgiveness from God, whether you understand it yet or not, the most important piece of the puzzle is that you've received Forgiveness from God. Then from there, you're able to give forgiveness. And you'll ne- but, but you'll never experience life to the fullest without forgiveness. If you're hanging on to unforgiveness in your life, life to the fullest is not possible. You can be a Christ follower, but you're not experiencing the fullness of life until you're offering forgiveness and saying things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you're giving that forgiveness not so that a person will change. You're giving that forgiveness so that you are released. You're set free. Life to the fullest becomes possible in that moment. And finally, prayer. It's the means to the end. It's critical to your well-being. It's critical to the fullness of life. It's critical to forgiveness. It's the communication with our Heavenly Father. The more we communicate, the more we trust. The more we trust, the more we communicate. The more we communicate, the more we trust. We're able to forgive. We're able to trust that God is the one who rights wrongs. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who modifies and, and changes behavior in people. And we trust God with that. 
But prayer is critical to our well-being. And what we are in private is what we really are. So when you're driving down the road and you're praying, you're hacked off with somebody and you're slamming your fist on that steering wheel like we've all done before, just keep in mind what we are in private is what we really are. That's a moment for us to humble ourselves and ask the Lord to do something in us that God's maybe been wanting to do for a long time. See, God taught us to pray. Jesus taught us to pray, not to give us one more thing to do, but God, and through Jesus, taught us to pray so that our communication with God can transform us, transforms our minds so that we can test and approve what God's will is, transforms us into God's righteousness. And so may we do this. May we develop a consistent code of prayer this year. May we develop a consistent code of prayer in our lives in order to communicate with and in order to establish a trust-based relationship with our Heavenly Father. And consequently, may God then be in and through every relationship here on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're asking God for. This is what we're longing for. This is how God makes relationships here as God intended for them to be. And so as we finish today, I'm gonna adapt a prayer that was prayed a long time ago. It was a prayer that was prayed by Peter Marshall uh, over the U.S. Senate. He prayed this prayer. So everybody, let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, help us to do our very best this day and be content with today's troubles, so that we don't borrow the troubles of tomorrow. Save us from the sin of worrying, lest stomach ulcers be the badge of our lack of faith. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Nobody wants stomach ulcers, do you? Me neither. I don't want them either, but man, we worry, don't we? May we abide in Christ. May we spend time, may we be connected to God, and may it go well with us as we pray, as we commune, as we spend time with our Heavenly Father.